We begin today with a brand new sermon series that I am like, if I was, if I were, if, 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 if I um, was Jordan, I would say I was super stoked, like not stoked. Okay, that's, that's right. Uh, uh, Jordan is stoked uh, for this brand new sermon series called Name Above All Names. It's a series that's, uh, and I don't know if we had, do we have the artwork? Did the artwork make it in in time? Okay. Name Above All Names. This is a celebration of the person and the power of Jesus. Now, here's why I'm excited. It's because when I say that I love to preach Jesus, just outright open, you know what I'm talking about? That is a blessing to my heart. It is a joy. So uh, along with several other great preachers here among us, from now running all the way to 2020, y'all, okay, I get to preach Jesus every week, all right? Um, and this series dedicates each Sunday, Sunday to a different name or a different title for Jesus in the scriptures. Did you know that there are over 150 titles and names attributed to Jesus in the scriptures? Um, there's a reason for that. And the reason for that, as we'll see, is that Jesus is the point of the Bible, right? Uh, everything in the Bible points us to him. Everything we read in the scriptures should be read through the lens of Jesus. No matter where we are, as the preacher has said, in the landscape of the Bible, we should never lose sight of the hill called Calvary. We should never lose sight of the open tomb. We should never lose sight of the ascending Christ Jesus. All of this is about him. All of this is about him. All of this is written that we might know him and know him better every time, Lord willing, that we open up this book and wherever we open it to. And that's why there are so many names of Jesus in the Old Testament, so many names of Jesus that we find in the New Testament. Because in the ancient context in which the Bible was written, names matter a lot. They tell us a lot. Names matter a lot. And as much as we don't think so, names still matter a lot to us in our modern context. Think about it. When a child is born, that child is given a name. And that name is written down and it is registered with the government. Legal documents are created. And so the name is the beginning of the starting point of our identity in social ways, in legal ways, financial ways. Having a name that, is, a, that is, a, is the first declaration to the world that says, I exist, I am someone. I don't know if y'all noticed, but my oldest baby, Natalie, and her husband, Shay, are visiting us here for the first time <laughs> since they moved to St. Louis. And I remember very clearly when Natalie was born, I, I, I don't reference you know, the kids a lot, and that's mainly because Natalie said something to me one time about that. Um, Sean hasn't said anything to me yet, so I'm still going to reference him for a while. Um, when she was born, I remember uh, clearly, Heather and I have talked about this a lot, that, you know, they, they, they asked us what her name was, and we told them, Natalie Scout, and then they actually called her that, which was surprising to us. All the doctors, all the nurses actually called her what we named her. 
Heather and I were kind of shocked. We did not feel at that time old enough to bear up under the responsibility of deciding the name of an actual real child. Um, This child is going to have to carry this name with her all the days of her life. And they let us do it. They let us do it. Um, So we named her Natalie Scout because we prayed for her to be a warrior for justice like that little girl in that famous play. And I think God has answered our prayers. So I'm thankful for that. Names matter. And we felt that weight when we named our kids. And the government actually agrees that it's a weighty matter. In fact, did you know that you can't just name your kid whatever you want? Did you know that? If you don't take seriously as a parent your responsibility to name your child something not foolish... The government will say no if it gets bad enough, all right? I looked this up. These are some names that parents really tried to name their kid, but the government said no. Uh, The first one is Messiah. Government said no to that one. Uh, Adolf Hitler. Someone tried to name their kid Adolf Hitler. Government said no. Somebody else tried to name their kid 1,069. Government said no. Somebody else tried to name their kid Santa Claus. Somebody else tried to name their kid Chief Maximus, which I do think is kind of cool. But government said no, I think that one should be on the maybe list. Somebody tried to name their kid Robocop, y'all. And the last one is circumcision. Try to name your kid circumcision. Once in New Zealand, the government uh, assumed temporary guardianship of a child after she was named Tallulah Does the Hula in Hawaii. (laughs) So they assumed guardianship to make sure that this child was given a name of something reasonable. And I can understand why that happens. I mean, some of those names do kind of border on child abuse. If you name your kid circumcision, that's kind of borders on child abuse. Um, naming a child is supposed to impart personal dignity to them, right? Individual worth. But as important as names are in our modern context, in the world of the scriptures, the name carries even more significance. A name could reflect the circumstances of someone's birth, like the way Leah named so many of her children to reflect the sadness that she felt over her husband's rejection. A name could communicate a message from God, like the children of the prophet Hosea. Don't you feel sorry for those kids that were named, you know, like, you are not a people? A name could be changed, and that change would be significant, reflecting a change in character or a change in destiny, like Abram's name being changed to Abraham because he would become the father of many nations, or Jacob's, whose name changed to Israel because he struggled with God and men in one. You don't have to read the Bible very long to see that names matter in the Bible. And that's why we're studying the many, many names, and we're not even going to scratch the surface, y'all, of the names that are attributed to Jesus. Because each one, here's why, because each one of those names reveals more and more to us about who he is, his person, and what he does, his power. And as we go through this series, it's my prayer 
that you will fall more and more in love with the person and power of Jesus over the course of this series. I pray that your worship of the Son of the Most High God will become richer and deeper with each passing Sunday, and you will go out of this place every Sunday not saying, what a great sermon we heard today, but what a great Savior we have in Jesus' name. And so we begin today with a title of Jesus that, in my opinion, is foundational. In my opinion, all the other names and titles that we will learn about flow from this one, and that title is one that we have already sung together, and that is the Alpha and the Omega. So if you would, with that said, please open up your copy of the Scriptures to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation, of course, is the last book in the Bible, the very first chapter thereof. And if you are willing and able, would you stand with me as we read from the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 4. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As we study these titles and these names of Jesus, it's my intention that we would not only grow in understanding of who Jesus is, but we would grow in our adoration of him. And even beyond that, to see how the truths that these names proclaim about Jesus might be applied in our everyday lives. So that's what I'm praying for, for all of us throughout the course of this, this series, that we would grow in comprehension, that we would take that further and grow in adoration of Christ, and then thirdly, that we would grow in application. And so with that in mind, I want to break up our time together considering this first name of Christ into three sections. In the first section, we'll ask, what does Alpha and Omega mean? What is the Bible actually saying? That's the comprehension part of what we're going to talk about today. But secondly, what does it mean that Jesus is called the Alpha and Omega? That's the adoration part. We want to spend some time just putting our hearts and not just our minds into and asking the Holy Spirit to fill us up with an understanding and an adoration of Christ as the Alpha and the Omega. But then we don't want to just leave it there. We want to see how this applies to our lives. So the third part of what we'll talk about is what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you and I? That the Jesus we come here to worship, the Jesus we come here to learn about is called the Alpha and the Omega. All right, so let's start with the first question. What does the title Alpha and Omega mean? If you're taking notes, 
thankfully, the book of Revelation supplies many definitions. I don't know if you noticed, but even just what I read, there was many other names of Jesus. Did you see that? And I believe in this section, at least, those names are filling out a definition for us of the primary thrust of this passage, and that's, I am the Alpha and the Omega. So one definition here in chapter one, one of the best, is right at the beginning and the end. It's mentioned twice in the passage. I'm sure you noticed it. He who was and is and is to come. At the very end, he says, I am the Lord. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. And then he supplies a definition of what that means. He who is and who was and who is to come. I believe that distinction helps define very clearly for us what the meaning of Alpha and Omega is. The Alpha and the Omega, Jesus, the Lord, He always was, He is now, and He forever will be. And this definition is restated in a couple different ways. At the end of the book, this is the opening of the book where Jesus is called the Alpha and Omega, and we find at the end of the book that He is called the Alpha and Omega by Himself. He claims that name for Himself. So if you would, just keep a finger here in Revelation 1 and flip over to Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 12. It says, look, I am coming soon, says the Lord. Says Jesus, if your Bible has the words of Jesus in red, these words are in red. Look, I am coming soon, says Jesus. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So, Alpha, of course, is the beginning of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the end of the Greek alphabet. So Jesus is the first. Jesus is the last. He's the beginning and the end and everything in between. This is just another way of saying he was, he is, and he is to come. And if you want to hear that same thing repeated another way, and let me just tell you, when something is repeated in Scripture, we want to take it to heart. Amen? If you want to hear more of a full, even a fuller definition of what it means that he's the Alpha and Omega, look down at verse 16. There's some beautiful language here that fills out this definition of what Alpha and Omega means. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony of the, uh, for the churches. Look at these two distinctions. I am the root and the offspring of David, and I am the bright and morning star. Oh, I like those. I didn't, you know, the, for the Jewish people, as you know, the David, King David, everything kind of hinges in history on David for Israel, the greatest king in the history of Israel. And so here Jesus declares himself both the root and the offspring, the beginning and the end of David, the origin and the heir of the great king, and therefore the before and the after. Just another way of saying the same thing. But then there's this great and beautiful distinction, the bright and morning star. I love that one because it preaches so good. It's so wonderful to say. I didn't know where it really came from. Uh, in, in, in ancient history up till today, what is considered the morning star is not a star at all. It's Venus. Uh, the first star to appear in the night sky at night. It's not a star. It's Venus. It's also the last one that disappears as the sun comes up the next day. 
So it's the morning star, and it's also the evening star. And it's bright because unlike stars that flicker, it's solid, it's consistent, right? It's the bright and the morning star. It's there when you go to bed. It's there when you get up. It's the last one that's left in the morning. It's the first one out at night, the beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come. So the book of Revelation does a good job of defining its own terminology today. But I want to be clear about something here. When we think about Jesus as the Alpha and Omega, I want to be clear that we're not meaning that Jesus was there at the beginning and he's going to be there at the end. That's too limited. Uh, best way I can think to describe this, and I brought this little, I hope everybody can see this over here. It's not anything real complicated that's going to happen over on this board. But if I just draw a line right here, and let's say that this tie, this line right here is time itself, creation, the cosmos, whatever you want to say, this is the Big Bang and everything's expanding to what? I don't know, until the end comes, the beginning and the end. When Jesus is called the Alpha and the Omega, we want to be careful to, dis to make clear that what that means is not that this is the Alpha and this is the Omega. That's not what the writer intends to describe about Jesus. If this line that's written on, a, drawn out on a piece of paper or drawn out on this board is time itself, then Jesus is the piece of paper that it's drawn on. Jesus is the board itself, right? And we're not to understand that Jesus has any borders. The point of that is this. Jesus extends out before and after everything. Before time was, he always was. Before reality was, before space was, he is. Jesus said in, Jesus said in reference, he was referring to Abraham. And the Pharisees said to him, you're not even 40 years old yet. Are you claiming that you knew Abraham? And Jesus said, before, Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. Think about what it means that Jesus is the board upon which that line is drawn. Time is the boundaries of our existence. Would you agree? Space is a boundary for us. But neither of those are a boundary for God. In fact, they are bound up in Him. That's an important thing for us to remember. Colossians 1.16 says, For in Him all things were created. In Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And this says something very important. He is not bound up by the forces that bind you and I. The boundaries of time do not affect him. They are bound up in him. And that leads us to our second question of the day. What does it say about Jesus in particular that he is the Alpha and Omega? Here's what it says. If Jesus is not bound by the limits of time and space, what does that mean? 
It means he is free. It means he is ultimately, cosmically free in ways that we cannot even understand as people who cannot relate to reality outside of time. He is free. He is free from everything we experience as those who are bound up. Jesus is not bound by fear, if this is true. Where does fear come from? The unknown, right? What's the mother of fear? The unknown. I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus is not bound by fear. We are bound by what we don't understand, what we can't control, which we didn't pref- whatever we didn't prepare for. But there is nothing unknown to the Alpha and Omega. Amen? There is, there is nothing that he doesn't understand. There's nothing that exists outside of the control of the Alpha and Omega. Nothing surprises him. Sometimes it's the simplest things that really help us. And you need to know today that Jesus ain't surprised by your situation, right? This is part of what it means that he's the Alpha and Omega. Now, I know we got some of our Amen Corner out today, okay? Some of y'all are going to have to step up, step into who God made you to be. He's made you be somebody that is going to recognize that it's important for us to understand that Jesus is not surprised by your situation today. So whatever it is that you bring in with you, Jesus is not surprised. That's a part of what it means for him to be the Alpha and Omega. He is not bound by fear. He's not bound by anxiety. If, if fear by itself has to do with what we don't know, anxiety has to do with what we do know, or at least we can imagine, right? It comes from what we imagine could happen. We have great imaginations for the disaster that can befall us. And we want to pray for those that are facing disaster like the hurricane that's bearing down on the Bahamas and on Florida, right? I'm just so thankful that it it, it didn't go over Puerto Rico. Are you? And those people have imaginations just like you and I. It's hard for us because we're bound by that, what might happen. But the Alpha and Omega is not bound from what might happen because he knows what will happen. He's not bound by regret. I'm just listing out some stuff that he's not bound by, y'all, today. Regret is another branch of fear that has, nothing, that, that has to do with, with this fear that we have that a decision we have made has ruined everything. And this is the reason that Israel kept looking back and wishing that they had stayed in Egypt. They longed for slavery, something that they knew. Jesus is not bound by regret because he knows the beginning from the end. So what does it say about Jesus that he's the Alpha and Omega? It says that Jesus is absolutely free. And that means that he can love absolutely. The Alpha and the Omega is only the only being in the universe that is inherently free to love and love perfectly. Y'all, we do experience a measure of love, but even the greatest love among us is shaded by fear, isn't it? It's shaded by regret. It's shaded by anxiety. Even the love that we have we, for our children, we worry about how they're going to turn out. Even the love we have for the 
for our, you know, the, the folks, the friends and the, and the spouses that are closest to us. We have this nagging fear. We look around us and we see you know, things falling apart for other people. And we think, could that happen to us? Even our greatest loves are shaded by what we're bound up in. But the Alpha and the Omega, his love is not shaded by those things. He is free to love absolutely. He is absolutely free, so he is free to love absolutely. Uh, when it says that God is love, that, con- that's, that, that cannot be separated from God is free. Right? That cannot be separated from God's freedom. Love and freedom really can't be <laughs> separated. He experiences perfect love because he is perfectly free. And any being that is bound is going to struggle to love at best, going to struggle at best to love somebody else and also to receive love. To love God or receive love from God. This is the problem for those of us that are bound up. We are bound up. We're given to regret, anxiety, fear of the unknown. And we struggle to live, to give and receive love. But, G, but love is not difficult for the Alpha and the Omega. Love is not complicated. How many of y'all have had someone say, well, it's complicated? They ask you about a relationship, they say, well, it's complicated. Love is not complicated for the Alpha and the Omega because there is no shadow, as the song says, of turning with him, right? Which leads us to our third point. What does it mean for us? If we can exult in the fact that Jesus is free and Jesus is free absolutely and Jesus is free therefore to love absolutely what does that mean for us and we find the answer to this question if you want to turn back in your scripture to Revelation chapter 1 we find in verse 5 three things that are the active result on us our lives of Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega. Look at verse 5 again. There's that A section where it says, From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then in the B section, I want to turn, you turn your attention here. Look at this. To him, to Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, who loves us, first thing, and has what? freed us, second thing, from our sins by his blood, and has, third, made us to be a kingdom and priests. What is the effect on us that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega? He loves us, he frees us, and he makes us, or maybe even another uh, translation yours might say, um, uh, might say, appoints us. Okay? We're going to talk about all these. He loves us. Remember, the condition of God's freedom, the condition of Jesus' freedom at the Alpha and Omega is what makes him able to love perfectly. And so he is free to love us perfectly, unconditionally. The term love here in verse 5 is a form of agape that means not only to have affection for, but to welcome. Isn't that a great definition for love? 
to welcome, to welcome. So that means that because God is completely free, he is absolutely free to set his love upon whoever he so chooses. He is absolutely free to welcome into his love whomever he so chooses. And remember, love and freedom cannot be separated. Therefore, the love of Christ, when it is set upon you, has an effect. And that effect is what? Guess what? Freedom. Because you can't separate love and freedom. He freed us. That's the second effect of him being the Alpha and Omega. It's him setting his love upon us freely. And that freedom of Christ in his love frees us. The word translated freed here means literally released. Your translation may have the word washed. The King James has that. But the context here infers that a price was paid. And that's why I think freed or released is a better translation. In the case, in this case that is outlined here, the price that was paid is what? What do you see? Somebody said it. The blood of Jesus. That's the price that was paid. And what is the prize that this high price was paid to get? What was it? To free us from what? Our sin, the tyranny, the the chains, the binding of our sin. In Jesus, we are free from sin. And I want you to hear this. We are free in Jesus from sin in two ways. First of all, I think the one that we most think about is we are free from the... um, Uh, the penalty of our sin, right? The consequence of our sin, the wrath of God, the, 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 what we we should receive from God in our sin. We're free from that wrath, from the penalty of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but thanks be to God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. But we are only, uh, but not only are we free from the penalty that was due our sin in Christ, but we are also free, y'all hear me on this, from the power of sin. We talk about this a lot here. That means Christ, in Christ, sin is no longer having mastery over us. We don't have to give way to it. It's no longer our master. Anybody with me today? Romans 6, 6 says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Remember, love and freedom cannot be separated. Perfect love frees perfectly. So if the Son has set you free, then you are what? You are free indeed. Yeah. But he has not offered, or he has not freed us for nothing. He has not freed you just for your freedom. Right? That brings us to the third point. He, he freed us so that we might become something other than what we are today. And that's our third point. He made us, or he appoints us. The NIV says made here. He made us into a kingdom. He made us into priests. But the sense here is not that he makes something from nothing, but that he takes us from one place to another place. He appoints us to a new position. He gives us a new assignment, which is another translation for this term that is translated in the NIV made. Assignment. In the case of verse 5, he has appointed us to the kingdom, and he has appointed us to be priests. Did y'all catch that? Hear me. Hear me. 
And Jesus sets his love upon us if we can receive it. He frees us from the bonds of our sin, what binds us up, so that we can become what he is, a priest, and so that we can be where he lives, the kingdom. He frees us so that we can live where he lives in the way that he lives and that we can be what he is. These are the riches that we have in Christ. He appointed us in Christ to live where he lives and to become what he is. Okay, now, this, pay attention here, okay? If you haven't been to paying attention, because this is where it all starts coming together. If you're confused, I apologize. I'm doing, the, I'm doing my best, all right? But, but, but here's where this is all going to start to make sense. This is what it means that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. It means, first of all, that he is absolutely free. Everything that binds us, he is free from. In his love for us and at great cost to himself, he freed us. If we will receive his love, he frees us. He gives us a measure of his freedom. But he has not freed us just for our own freedom. He has freed us that we might come come and live where he lives, that we might become what he is. One of the most important and mysterious and powerful verses in all the Bible to me is 1 John 4, 17 that says this, by this love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Listen to this, because as he is, so are we in this world. That's a mystery. Jesus loved us. He freed us. And here's the promise. He transforms us. He changes us. He appoints us. He anoints us in such a way that as he is, so are we in this world. Now that's going to take a lifetime for me to unpack. Okay? So we're going to do the, the, you know, the dollar general version today. Okay? And the dollar general of that is going to bless you. So listen close. Brothers and sisters, because Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, that means he is free from fear. And the Bible declares that as he is, so are you in this world. And declares that if you will receive his perfect love, then his love will drive out your fear. You can live where he lives today in a kingdom that is not bound by fear. Because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, he is free from anxiety. Amen? And the Bible declares that if we receive his love, then we can cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. You can live where he lives today. Because Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, he is free from regret. And the Bible declares that if we receive his love today, then we are no longer among those who shrink back, right? We are no longer among those who look back and are destroyed, like Lot's wife who looked back on Sodom and Gomorrah, or Israel who looked back on Egypt. No, in Christ Jesus, we are not captive to our former sins. We are not captive to the past. In Jesus Christ, we can look forward in faith and persevere. We can live where he lives. 
we can be as he is in this world because he is the Alpha and the Omega. So, if we belong to the one who sees the beginning from the end, then the unknown is no longer a threat to us because everything is known to him. Even though it's not known to me. See this? When I say he transforms us, he appoints us to do something. He's not, we still have finite minds, y'all. He's not changing us into little gods. But because he sees the beginning from the end, I don't have to be captive to fear. That's living in his kingdom. It's living where he lives. It's living as he lives. If we belong to the bright and morning star, then we no longer have a fear of what might happen because he is shining over all of our days. And we know that he knows our tomorrow and the tomorrow after that and the tomorrow after that. And so we can live in freedom from fear of the future and all the things that might happen. We can live in freedom from the change of our past. We can do that because we belong to the one who was and who is and who is to come. Praise him. Praise be to God who is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the Jesus that invites you into his kingdom of peace, his kingdom of freedom, his kingdom of love. I feel like I need the band to help me out up here. If I could get you up here, that'd be awesome. So, this is what it means for us. We've talked about what the Bible means when it talks about the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We've talked about what that says about Jesus and who he is. But right now, I want us to consider what this means for us. There are people in this room, just because of the size of the room, I don't have to guess about this, and also because it's filled with people. <laughs> You know, there's always that. We are bound by time. We're bound by, therefore, fear. And the Bible has also told us in Revelation that we are bound by sin. Sin binds us up. It enslaves us. And even some of us who call ourselves Christians, y'all, we still become bound by sin. We have what, you know, some folks have returned to as are called pet sins. You know, the little pets that we keep around to, you know, to return to and to, to stroke and to make us feel warm and fuzzy again. The reality is that's not a warm and fuzzy thing. That's a chain. Our sins are chains. Our, our fears are chains. Our anxieties are chains. Our regrets are chains. And the Alpha and the Omega lives outside of all of that. Anything that binds you, He lives outside of all of that. And so I've prayed this morning. I know, y'all, this is an imperfect vessel in so many ways that's speaking to you here today. And so I'm praying and I've been praying that the spirit of the most high God, the spirit of the living God would speak to me today and cut, cut by his word, not mine, his word, 
deep down to that place, deep down to that chain, because our, our worst chains are the ones that we can't even see. That we're so used to them that we just step over them all the time, right? And so we want to offer, we want to make an offer to you today. And this is why we do this every week. We take communion together, but we open up this altar down here. There is nothing unusual. There's nothing special. There's no magic power that happens, you know, on these wooden steps. There's nothing magical in the juice from Kroger. There's nothing magical in the bread from Kroger, right? But the Alpha and the Omega comes and makes all kinds of normal stuff supernatural and there's something important of recognizing a truth in your mind that's fine that's fine and good but then letting that come down and get into your heart I'm asking that he'll help you see your chains today and that you will then take a step physically with your body to say Lord I want to be free and I want to remind you at the, part, at the part of this invitation that's important, who you're talking to. When you say, Lord, I want to be free, you're talking to the one who is ultimately free. Ultimately free. Cosmically free. There is no shade of turning. There is no shade of despair. None of that. That's who you're talking to. So let's do business with the Lord. Would you close your eyes? Would you fold your hands? I said earlier, when I say fold your hands, I just mean do whatever you want to do with your hands. It doesn't really matter what you do with your hands. But the, the point here is I'm reminded of this now that we have a four-year-old in the house and we're trying to teach him how to pray is he has to close his eyes and he has to fold his hands so that he's not reaching for other stuff and he's not looking for other things. And so, Lord, I'm just asking right now that you would help us to get our attentions off of these other things that are distracting us so that we can turn our attentions to you, Lord. Jesus, by yours, would you send your Holy Spirit to descend in this room? And would you show us things that we can't see on our own? Would you illuminate and highlight the chains in our lives, the places where we are bound, whether they be a pet sin, whether it be a fear of the future, a fear of something we don't know, or a fear of something that we do know and that we're afraid of. And it's holding us back. It's holding us back from becoming freed by you to come and live where you live and be what you are in this world. If I could get my servers to come forward, if I could get my ushers to stand in place, the rest of us, let's not, let's not move our hearts from this moment. Let's keep our attentions focused on the Lord. Those servers, they're going to serve us. We're thankful for them. They are moving now so that you can stay focused. Stay focused on the Lord. Stay focused on the Lord. The band's going to begin to play now. Our, our song that's going to accompany communion here. If you're a follower of Jesus, when the time is right, you get up, the ushers will dismiss by rows. But listen, if you need to stay where you are and do business with the Lord, you do that. Get on your knees. If he moves you to come forward and make do something with your body to say, Lord, I want to be free today and come and kneel at this altar, you do that. 
Don't be bound by convention. Don't be bound by what other people will think of you. Don't be bound by any of that. You're talking to the Alpha and the Omega, and he is free. And this is his house. This is a house of freedom. So we always want to see people getting free in here. This is what we do. This is the God we serve. So if you need to come down and repent and lay your burdens down, be free today. Move your body and do that. Come down here. Somebody's going to pray with you. They're not going to get into your business unless you want to make it their business. They'll just pray over you. But if you want to pray with, grab the person next to you came with and say, will you just pray with me? Pray for me. I don't even know how to pray. Do that. When the time is right, if you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to get up and come down these aisles. Take of that bread. You'll be reminded this is the body of Christ that's been broken for you. You dip it in the juice. You'll be reminded this is the blood of Christ that has been spilled for you. And as you take of that, I want you to remember this is the price that was paid by Christ. And the prize for Christ, for that price, was your freedom that you might come and live where he lives and be who he is in this world and in the world to come. That's what we're doing. Celebrate that Christian. If you're not a Christian, we want to invite you for the first time to do that. Come and talk to us. We want to introduce you to Jesus. Let's all do our business with Jesus right now. Let's all do our business with the Alpha and the Omega. He sees everything. He was, he is, he is to come. You can't hide anything from him. He was and is and is to come. Open yourself up to him. Let him show you where your chains are. Come down. Be free. Be free today in Jesus' name.